Hey everyone, in this AB Talks Untold Stories, I sit with Amira Zaki, a courageous, brave, honest person who wanted to share a story that might be taboo, yet much needed and very important for a lot of women and men to learn and understand and hopefully help a lot of people to realize that they're not alone. I hope you enjoy this chapter. So hello, I'm with a consultant gynecologist extremely reputable, extremely experienced. So I'm going to learn with you, whoever is watching this. And uh, Dr. Mustafa Al-Ayad, it's a pleasure to be with you. So thank you for coming. Thank you for giving me and everybody and everybody watching uh, your time. Uh, this is a very um, sensitive topic, yet a very important topic that needs uh, education and awareness. And I wanted to ask you very simply, if you give us an introduction to the story that we're going to be displaying to everybody about what is uh, vaginismus. Basically, this is uh, a topic which, which is quite common and the incidence of vaginismus is around, <clears throat> is around 0.5% in women. So in other words, out of, out of every 200 women, you have one woman who is suffering from vaginismus. Vaginismus means that a woman, she will have difficulty to have a relationship with her partner. In other words, she cannot have any intercourse because she is in severe pain. Hmm. And, and this pain could be basically a true pain or could be psychological pain. And usually this happens because her psychological influence on her muscles around the area there they will cause very tightening and, and her vagina will be difficult to be penetrated because it's very tight and, and unresponding to uh, her relationship with her partner. Mm. And uh, the problem, this thing could happen with all women irrespective of their socioeconomic situation. And uh, we have to look at it in, in, in a serious way, not to disregard it, because this could be a major cause for divorce and uh, unhappy marriage and a lot of things like that. And we cannot blame anybody on this. And this is why it's very important to seek medical advice as soon as possible. Now, I know this is a very sensitive issue. Many women will be scared or shy to discuss this case even with their family, even with their close friends. And mind you, there are many women who reach the stage of being married or having a partner, having on their mind a lot of fears and ideas, which are built up from the time when they become in their teenage. And this could affect their performance when they meet a partner. Many schools in the West, they give sex education to, to teenagers. They don't hit very much on this subject, but they can go around this subject so that women are prepared and even men are prepared when they face such a situation. Now, basically, uh, women get uh, stuck what to do. And uh, they are, as I said, afraid to go and talk to anybody. They are shy to talk to their parents, they're shy. And unfortunately in our society, they, they might put a blame. Come on, you should be 
relax and so on. It's not enough like this. You have to uh, go in steps in this issue. I believe number one step, we have very much, very important to see if there's any abnormality, if there's any born in abnormality. Some women could, could be born with something called imperforate hymen. That means their hymen is thick and it is not open at all. And so whenever there is any relationship, they cannot overcome this thick tissues in this area. This is one possibility. Another possibility could be a woman could be having an infection that is causing this irritation. You could have also some women who are subjected to some surgeries. This could affect their uh, tightness in this area and could be afraid of. Now, this has to be treated if there's something medical, which accounts for the minority of cases, this should be treated medically. But when it comes to other psychological issues, there should be a proper talk with the patient and explaining to her. Many women are really afraid with the idea they are going to be penetrated and they don't think that this could match with this. And, and the fear of this issue is not easy. And so they formulate on their mind a lot of ideas. And these ideas could be really scary. So they resort to pain, muscle spasm, and they avoid the whole relationship. Now, I'll talk a little bit about the treatment. Number one, you have to sit and explain to the woman what to expect, what are the things to be done. And you have to go in steps in this situation. Definitely, you have to educate the husband too. Because some husbands, uh, unfortunately, will then try to sleep with their wives. They cannot do it. They lose their power and they feel upset. They get angry. And, and this could lead to a lot of fighting together. So we should educate both parties and let them both understand what is the situation. The husband could be of great help and showing her there's nothing wrong with you. You're okay. And ultimately, in my opinion, all women can accommodate all men when they are both of normal build up. Okay. Um, one point, doctor, uh, you said a lot of it is psychological or majority. The challenge is psychological challenge, not maybe something they were born uh, with. So with the psychological, it's what you just said. They have to just seek the professional help. Definitely. And through that, they can alleviate this uh, psychological maybe challenge that's causing the pain. So it's all because of the trauma or the, the buildup of a certain... I, I tell you something. They could have watched maybe a movie at one time and where a woman during her first day of marriage, she has shouted and this stays on their mind and they are so much afraid. They could hear from a friend, okay, that, oh, this is really most horrible thing. Uh, some people think that it's more painful than a delivery, which is not true at all, you know. And some women, they talk between each other. And you know, you know when it comes to these issues, there's a lot of stories that come up. And uh, each one has to show that he knows better than the other. And basically, they never had this experience. But they transmit information, which is totally wrong. Mm. Otherwise, then you wouldn't have this lower incidence of vaginismus, you know. Yeah. 
Well, thank you. So, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> I think this, this is a good introduction and a good, um, it's a good explanation. And uh, we have a Mira story now that will be told. Shukran. Welcome. Hey, Amira. Hi, Anas. Starting with a typical question, then we change everything. How are you really doing? Um, right now, in terms of how I'm feeling, I'm feeling quite nervous to be here. Um, I feel like there's a goal attached to this, this show that we're doing together. And I'm really hoping that we achieve that goal and surpass that goal in terms of me sharing my message. I feel nervous to speak to you. Um, that's in terms of how I'm feeling. But in terms of how I'm doing, I'm doing good, actually. I'm feeling grateful to be here. You asked me earlier, did I manifest this? And I said, no. Um, I feel like this was meant to be in the sense that God wanted me to be here to speak to you um, because God can see quite a lot of women suffering with what I'm going to talk to you about. And so I'm feeling good that, I, that God chose me to share this message and to speak to you. And I'm feeling happy that you've given me this opportunity and happy that you're, you're willing to speak about this topic that, you know, at the moment is quite still, is still quite taboo. And so I'm really happy that you've given me the opportunity, like I've said. So I'm feeling happy, albeit nervous. But yeah, overall, I'm feeling good. Hmm. <laughs> it's good to hear. Yeah, and I think we will have a very important discussion. Which leads me to the second question is, uh, Amira, what's your story? So my story starts back when I was a teenager, actually. I remember being in high school and some of my friends, they were girlfriends at the time, started talking about sex. And one of them started talking about how when a woman kind of loses her virginity or has sex for the first time, it's really painful. And I was a really young teenager, probably 13. And this was my first time hearing about what it's like for a woman to have sex for the first time. And she said, it's really painful. There's going to be lots of blood. And then another girl started chiming in and saying that she heard that first time sex is more painful than childbirth. And so those stories that I heard at the time, I didn't realize, but they traumatized me. I didn't realize it was trauma back then, but I remember immediately feeling fear and feeling kind of, so feeling fear, but also feeling like a bit let down. I felt let down by God because I was like, why God did you choose for me to be a woman? And why did you choose for women to have to go through pain the first time? It felt unfair. And so I kind of didn't pay much attention to it after that. And then I went through the rest of high school and I actually met my current husband at the end of high school. It's what we call sixth form. We were 16 when we met and we started getting to know each other, started to like each other. And I was raised quite traditionally. And my parents told me, you know, we don't really date. Um, you know, I was taught that sex is only within marriage. And so because I started having feelings for this boy, we were both 16, I said to him, why don't you meet my parents? And he actually agreed, which is quite surprising. You know, you don't expect a 16 year old to say yes. So he met my family, we continued getting to know each other and we made the decision to get married just before university. So we got married at 18, right when we finished like all of our high school and sixth form. And it was a good decision at the time. It allowed us to kind of freely see each other. Um, and then we didn't move out straight away as in we didn't live together straight away because we were so young, we just couldn't afford our own place. 
So we made the decision to go through a year of uni. He was in a separate university to mine. We made the decision to not have first time sex. So we were both virgins. We had never had sex before that, but we made the decision to wait until we had our own place. And so we did that for a year we saved. And then at 19, we moved out and lived together. And I knew that moving into an apartment with him was gonna be like my first time, was gonna be the kind of so-called wedding night. And in the lead up to that, uh, kind of like the few months leading up to the kind of move-in date, I remember feeling fear come over me again, feeling really nervous, a bit panicky. And I just kind of thought that I'm gonna have to just get over it and deal with it and put up with the pain. Those stories from my teenage years, like my early teenage years, started to haunt me. And we moved in and we tried to have sex the first time on that night. And it was exactly like those girls described. It was really painful. Um, so much so that we couldn't do it. We couldn't go any further. We tried, but it just felt like there was this block, like this barrier. And every time my husband tried to push past that barrier, it got more painful. And so I told him, you have to stop. I can't bear with this. And he did. He understood, he said, it's okay. He kind of put it down to first time nerves and he said, we'll try again. And we lived like that in terms of, when I say we lived like that, we, we went through that same cycle of painful sex for about a year. And each time we tried again and again, it seemed to get worse. And it seemed to be like there was no end in sight, it kind of seemed like, I was gonna go through this forever. I kind of didn't know there was a solution. I felt really, um, I felt abnormal. I felt like I was the only woman in the world to be going through this. And I also kind of started criticizing myself. I started kind of thinking, I must be some weak woman if I can't do this natural act. Like everyone told me it just hurts the first time. You just have to put up with it. And after that, it gets easier. But unfortunately for me, whether it was the first time, the second time, the 10th time, the 50th time, it was just always painful. So painful that it just wasn't possible to do the act of sex. And so, like I said, we lived like that for a year and it put a really, it put an emotional burden in our marriage. My husband didn't understand what was going on. He didn't blame me, but he just didn't know how to help me. He didn't know what I was experiencing because he's not a woman. Um, he tried to support me and be patient. But after about a year, I think the patient, he, he started to kind of slowly run out of patience. And we ended up having a conversation. And he said to me, look, Amira, I don't know how long we're gonna need to live like this, but if we live like this for a lot longer, we're probably gonna need to get divorced. He wasn't saying it in a threatening way. He was kind of saying it in, he doesn't know what to do. He, he felt helpless, but so did I. And I started to, I kind of made a decision at that time to find help. And I felt too embarrassed and too ashamed to speak to anyone about it. Like I couldn't tell my parents because I kind of just, I kind of thought if I tell them, they might judge me, they might not believe me, they might not know what to do. But also, we didn't really speak about sex, my family and I. So I just, it, I, I didn't feel like my family were people I could turn to. I was wrong, like I know that now, 
uh, I, I can actually, I can turn to my family for anything, but at the time, it felt like sex was this topic that was off limits. And so I started thinking, should I see the doctor? But again, I started doubting myself with regards to seeing a doctor because I thought, if I tell the doctor this, the doctor may want to check me down there. And at that point, I had a really bigger fear of anything going inside my vagina because of the pain that was associated with it. So I, at the time, I chose not to see the doctor and I chose to take it upon myself and I went online and I started, I started to type into Google, I typed solutions to painful sex, something along those lines. And I started doing some research and I eventually came across the term vaginismus. And when I read about it, I'm getting emotional. When I read about what vaginismus is, I felt relief because it was like, it was like this medical, it was described as a medical condition. And I felt like I wasn't the only one when I knew it had a name because I started thinking, if there's a name for what I'm going through, surely it must mean that other people go through it too. I'm not the only one. So I felt relief, but I also started thinking, okay, I'm going through this condition. I had never heard of it before. I was never taught about it in school. No one had told me about the, the term vaginismus. It felt strange and foreign to even read it. And so I started searching for treatment for vaginismus. And when I understood how the treatment works, and, and more importantly, when I understood what vaginismus actually involves, and so for those of you listening, if you're not sure what it is, vaginismus is a condition in which a woman's pelvic floor muscles, the muscles that surround her vagina, they start to contract in this kind of automatic way that she doesn't realize it's happening. And when those pelvic floor muscles contract, it causes the vagina to become really narrow. I didn't know this was happening in my body because it's quite a subtle contraction that you can't really feel it. And I didn't know my vagina was becoming narrow because of the muscles contracting. But when I understood through that education, it felt like, okay, if, it's because, if, this, if what I'm going through is caused by the muscles contracting, I just need to figure out how to relax those muscles in order for my vagina to be wide enough to accept my husband's penis without any pain. And so I took steps to self-treating. Like I said, I felt too embarrassed to tell my doctor. And luckily, or thanks to God, the self-treatment worked for me through the education, but also through practicing to relax the muscles and practicing to insert objects into my vagina. Objects that are kind of similar to tampons, they're known as dilators and they come in different sizes. So I had the opportunity to practice and that showed me, it proved to me that it is possible to have something be in your vagina for the first time as a woman with no pain. That was my proof. And that gave me all the confidence I needed to be able to do the same thing with my husband. And I overcame my own vaginismus. And I saw for myself in that moment when I finally was able to experience sex with my husband, I saw for myself 
but hang on a second, this is what I was thinking at the time, like after we had done it, I started reflecting and I, I, I saw that there was no pain. And I started questioning and I was like, why did everyone tell me that it's meant to be painful? And so it kind of carried on from there and then we were able to continue having sex and we lived happily ever after kind of thing. Um, but that's where the story starts. And I know I talked for a lot, lot of time, but I really feel like it started when I was a 13 year old girl and impacted me when I was about 19, trying to have sex for the first time. And I'm here because if a woman is going through it, I want her to see that she's not alone and it's possible to overcome it. First point, you can relax. I have all day. You can talk as slow as you want. I feel like you want to say so much in such a short time. There's no time limit. Feel free. I'm your friend. We can talk for hours. It's fine. Um, secondly, I thought it was very interesting how a basic school discussion affected an adulthood or yeah. a marriage. Yeah. I do uh, give credit to you and to your husband for being patient with each other because I think you were 10 times more patient than him. He was, I give him a lot of credit because probably a lot of men will not even bother or try to understand or be like, you know what? I'm not staying, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm done, bye. Yeah. Um, so I give him that credit, absolutely. The love he had for you and I think his love was more than just sex. His love was more than just, I want to sleep with this woman or have babies. And I know you're a lovely mother now, right? Yeah. That's Boy right. and girl. That's right. Ages? Uh, my daughter is almost nine. Name? And my daughter's name is Farah. Farah. And my son is almost six. And his name is Omar. Omar or Farah? Yeah. Okay. So I do, I do give him credit. But what I'm more impressed with is you. How difficult it is and I'm not a woman but I'm asking a woman I would love to understand and I think this is also good education for men how difficult is it as a woman who loves a man who's newly married who thinks and we're programmed and we think that we know we have to pop babies and we have to you know make love and have a healthy sex life and all of how difficult is it to feel that you're letting him down and yourself down. I'm assuming, and you telling me that you didn't even tell your family because you were afraid of judgment or not understanding, or a doctor, mm -hmm. or a therapist. Yeah. It's really lonely. Because mm -hmm. you have a husband who's a male. He doesn't get it. <clears throat> no. no matter how much he's trying, he'd be yeah. like, okay, don't understand. Yeah. So how lonely is it that you have to be so patient even with yourself? So. Extremely lonely. Um, I kind of thought that if I didn't overcome it and I ended up getting divorced as a result of it, I kind of thought that I probably wouldn't remarry because I kind of thought that I was trapped within this condition and that it was, I, I, at the time, I felt like it was so difficult to overcome. It was really lonely. And it put a huge burden on the marriage, like I said. And I think the reason it was so lonely was because I couldn't just have a conversation with my friends about it because other friends who were married were able to have sex. Or so I assumed, I, they had never mentioned issues. 
So I just assumed that they wouldn't understand. And so I didn't bother to even tell my friends about it. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like I could just openly speak about this issue to anyone. I kind of felt like it was a test that I had to go through and that I could only overcome it on my own. And if I failed to overcome it on my own, I had to live like that forever. That was the mindset I had at the time. And so definitely very lonely. It's not like if I had a different condition, like, I don't know, God forbid cancer or heart disease or whatever, like those words, cancer and heart disease are more commonly known. And there is no, there's not a lot of taboo surrounding me saying that, like if I said to my parents, I've had a diagnosis and this is what I have, they would understand, they kind of understand what those conditions involve. Whereas if I kind of turned up to my parents and said, I have vaginismus, they would look at me and be like, what's that? And then it kind of felt like I had to overcome, I had to overcome the condition myself, but then I also had to be responsible for educating people about it, like my parents, if I, if I had to tell them, and I just felt like I had to pick my battles at that time. And I chose to focus on myself and, and try and overcome it. And I'm glad I did that. Um, I'm, I'm, kind, I'm glad for me personally, it worked to not tell anyone because sometimes this is just how my family are. I think if I were to tell them, and they know now, obviously, like a few years after I went through it, I informed them, they were shocked when I told them, but I said, don't worry, it's fine. I'm fine now, I've overcome it. But if I told them while I was going through it, I kind of, they would have been very supportive and understanding, but I also feel like perhaps they would have had this expectation from me to overcome it within a certain amount of time, or maybe they would like constantly check on me with good intentions, but I kind of didn't want anyone else. I just wanted to be like laser focused on myself. Um, and that worked for me. It doesn't work for everyone, but it did for me. I have, um, when I watched your video, Amira, I was uh, impressed with your comfort in using very tricky words like vagina mm. and sex, penis. Yeah. Like these are words we're really not used to. Like yeah. it's difficult to even say it in public or say it in front of cameras. Mm -hmm. Maybe you say it to your friends and laugh, haha, and it's fine. Yeah. But now I'm going to talk about an umbrella of a topic that's bigger than me and you. Um, the idea of sex is really tricky because logically it doesn't make any sense. You come from sex, but you don't want to talk about sex. Mm. Your parents had sex to have you, but they won't educate you. Mm. School will not educate you, but now some schools are starting yeah. to do sex education. Mm. And so important to teach kids about safe sex and uh, love. Yeah. And uh, like one of the fears I have for my kids and for all our kids is pornography. Yeah. Like when you realize what is really being searched on these pornography sites, it's scary. Absolutely. It's scary to think this is the only education our kids are getting. Maybe not the only, maybe, you know, good movies and romantic movies at least give a, a pretty idea of love and marriage and, and, and all of that. But a lot of the pornography is, is violent, mm -hmm. is incest, is, is really disgusting things. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm afraid for my kids if 
if this is what, because they'll all end up watching, you know, they'll have their yeah. ways to find it online or in school or between their yeah. friends. But is that the only source that our kids are going to learn and educate themselves about something that is supposed to be the beauty of life, the mm-hmm. way to, you know, raise children and have healthy families and do yeah. things right and clean and protect yourself mm-hmm. from STDs. And, but if that's the education, there's violence and, you know, gangs of people having sex and, and, I'm like, and sometimes like you just do this research for five seconds, you'll be scared that's what's mm-hmm. being searched. They kind of are forced or compelled to or intrigued to looking at pornography because they see little glimpses here and there, maybe see glimpses even in movies. And then they're like, what's that? That's interesting. Mum and dad don't really talk to me about this thing. Let me go and educate myself about it. And it's unfortunate and it's so important that parents have the awareness because some parents unfortunately turn a blind eye to it. Um, but if, you, if you're a parent and you have that self-awareness that my kid is going to be exposed to it, but how do I educate them about it? How do I kind of minimize the risks associated with pornography? And how do I educate them about sex in a healthy way? And it is very relevant to my story because I believe if I had a good sex education, like I I went to a British school and in the UK and sex education is part of the curriculum. We were taught about it, but it was very mechanical very, if you have sex, you will get pregnant, that kind of thing. Here's how to have sex without and not get pregnant. Here's how to put a condom on. That's the education and that was pretty much it. But I feel like that is okay, maybe a starting point, but that's not all sex is. It's not just this mechanical act. There's so much depth to it emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And that is discussions, not like one class. It needs to be conversations that a child can have with his or her parents, with his or her teachers, you know, other relatives, other society members, because if they if they're able to easily say words like penis, sex, vagina, etc., vulva, which is an important word, we're very used to hearing the word vagina, but actually the vulva is the female anatomy. The vagina is like one part of it. So even using proper terms for things. Um, you were saying like, sometimes saying the word vagina, people will giggle. And sometimes they won't even use the word vagina. They will say something else instead of that word. The same for penis. I think if a child is able to approach his or her parents and freely talk about it, they may not be that intrigued to accessing porn because they've had their curiosity filled. If you keep something hush-hush, then you're going to be curious about this thing. And I think we all innately, at some point in our lives, whether it's nine, 10 year olds, we will start to think about it. We will start to think maybe that maybe a, maybe a seven year old or an eight year old might not know the word sex, but they know that something must happen for kids to be born, for babies to be born. And, and they see a random kissing image in a movie and they're like, what does that mean? And if they don't have that healthy discussion with Parents, to start with, it can be damaging and it can lead to them accessing the wrong education, damaging education. So uh, I'm going to lead to, because I did that little bit of intro, but I'm going to lead to the question I had for you. So when we think, even, even now, I'm going to be honest, to say it so openly, it's not 
as easy as me saying, I went to the mall. Mm. If I say vagina, I'm like, oh, like, <laughs> what did I just say? Like, yeah. you know, like you, um, you doubt it or you second guess yourself oh because so it's true. not a natural word that you were growing up using freely or, or yeah. penis or whatever. Um, and this is my question. Looking at you, you look like, you know, conservative, religious. Uh, and then it's impressive that that shouldn't be associated with somebody who's not willing to talk about one of the most important things in the world. Yeah. And, and that's where my whole dilemma about sex is. It's not even just an Arab thing. Maybe Arab Asia were a bit more conservative, but even in Europe or America, yeah. there, is some, there is some conservative approach They're to all of these topics. Yeah. So how did you, as Amira, be comfortable to say this is such an important topic nobody's really talking about it enough or hardly that i need to educate myself and my kids and my family and the internet mm. about it how do you do that i would say it didn't come to me initially so kind of what i was sharing with my story it kind of ended where i overcame it and then i didn't really think about sex or sex education after that because it was kind of my happily ever after. But then I <clears throat> started a job. I started working as a science teacher. And I, as part of the curriculum in the UK for science, there are some lessons that we, where we need to teach about sex in a kind of biological sense. So I taught biology. And at the time I was working in an inner city London school, high school, teaching all boys. And I remember one of my first lessons where I had to teach them about sex, I started preparing myself mentally, thinking, okay, I'm probably going to get giggles, I'm probably going to get boys shouting out random words for fun. So I prepared myself for that. But surprisingly, it didn't end up being what I imagined. It ended up being a lesson where after kind of the boys hearing me say words like vagina, penis, sex, etc., they became more comfortable because they saw, wow, there's a teacher, uh, you know, saying these words it kind of gave them the opportunity to say it and they had so many questions for me. I ended up going completely off the lesson plan just to answer their questions and I think that was the initial hint that wow these boys have so many questions and they finally have me as a teacher you know not shying away but being there you know one boy would ask a question I would answer it and it gave another boy a chance to ask his question and so on and that showed to me, okay, teenage boys need this education. But again, I didn't really pay much attention to it. And then a few years later, not a few years, but within my teaching career, so I was a teacher for five years, within that time frame, I had both of my kids. And I made a decision that I couldn't continue being a teacher uh, while being a good mum at the same time. For me, I found it very difficult. You know, the school I was describing was quite a slightly like kind of disadvantaged school behaviorally, there were issues within the school. And I found that there was a lot of work for me to do as a teacher. And I was here trying to raise two young kids at the time. So I made the decision to leave my job so that I could spend more time at home raising my kids. But I knew that financially I needed to have a backup plan, which I didn't have, but I just knew intuitively that I couldn't continue with that job, it was affecting me mentally because of the workload. So I knew for my mental health and for the sake of being a better mother, I left the job. <clears throat> and for about a year, I was 
trying to start some kind of business from home, didn't know what to do and kind of saw that coaching was a thing. So I tried it and tried different niches within coaching. None of it really, uh, none of it really fit me. And I just knew it wasn't the thing that I was meant to be doing. And I started growing a tiny bit of like a following on Instagram. And there were these women following me. And I remember feeling all of a sudden, okay, these people are following me. I was, it was like 100 followers or 200 followers. And I was like, these people are following me. And I kind of randomly started thinking, I'm holding on to this secret, the secret being that I had vaginismus. And I feel like these women should know about it. I don't know where that came from, probably from God, gave me that kind of idea to tell them. And so I sat down and I made a YouTube video and it's still on my channel. And if you watch it, you'll see I'm very nervous. Like you were saying, like a lot of people struggle to say the words vagina and penis. If you watch the video, it's a few years old. You will see I struggled back then to say those words. But I, I felt like it wasn't about me anymore. It was about, for some reason, one of those women out of the 100 or 200 might have this and she needs to know that it's okay if you have it and you can overcome it. So I made that video, put it on YouTube and left it. And I don't know how the YouTube algorithm works, but somehow it wasn't my Instagram audience that started messaging me. It was people on YouTube that were leaving comments saying, thank you for talking about this. You've given me hope or please may I contact you. Can you tell me how you overcame it? I need your help. And I would get daily messages like that or at least weekly messages like that. And that was the kind of, I don't know what, how to describe it, but it was kind of like that light bulb moment of like, maybe this is the direction that God wanted me to take. These are the women I need to help. And so I started helping these women and it became a business in, in the sense that I decided that I can coach these women to overcome the condition. And that's where it started, where I became, not forced, I felt, I think the more I say those words, vagina, penis, sex, they just kind of eventually will roll off your tongue. So that's something the audience can do. Just practice it at home. <laughs> just say it randomly. You know, if you have to. In the middle of a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> but it should be like, in the middle of a meeting, you can say the word coffee and no one's going to, you know, look at you. Yeah. But if you say. Because it's supposed yeah. to also, Amira, be a private part. Yeah. Right? It's under that category. Yeah. So I understand that I don't think it will ever be as easy as saying laundry. Yeah. But it should be more accepted. Yeah and discussed probably in a healthy environment. Yeah. You know, like with family if you need to or whatnot. I, I noticed that you really got sensitive when you said, <coughs> uh, or emotional, even more emotional, that when you said that you finally, because you didn't go to your family, your husband won't understand, you didn't go to a doctor because you're afraid of the examination that they would do, you actually, searched online and the moment you found you felt relief yeah and you got really emotional in that part why i felt validated i felt understood just by reading the word i felt like i'm not alone um and i felt hope 
because again, somewhere in the back of my mind, when I was reading about this condition, what it is um, and how to treat it, that hope is what caused me to be emotional, that I no longer need to live with this forever. Because I think I said to you, at some point when I was going through it and didn't know what it was called, I kind of felt like, I'm going to have to go through this forever. I'm going to have to live like this forever. I'm going to be a virgin all my life. And I know it sounds funny to say, but that's kind of like how I started judging myself. And I would judge myself as weak. And then when I read that this condition exists and it's possible to treat it and that it wasn't caused by me being weak, it was caused by something that I wasn't fully in control of uh, in terms of like the pelvic floor muscles contracting automatically. I felt like, okay, I don't need to be... I don't need to think of myself as weak. I just need to continue educating myself and I need to proactively take steps to overcome it. And I think I felt emotional saying, saying it because of where I am now and that I went through this difficult challenge in my life, but here I am now having overcome it, but not just that, like God is providing for me through that difficult challenge that I overcame because I'm now in a position to help other women. So it's, it, I think it's emotional because when you go, sometimes when you're going through a difficult situation, you don't always see the kind of silver lining you don't see that there may be some benefit to the challenge. When you're stuck in that, in that difficulty, that struggle, you kind of think, why me? Uh, what if I never overcome this? Um, you're kind of stuck in that negative mindset. Um, but I think most people can resonate. If you look back at the challenges you've been through in your life, the struggles you've been through in your life, there was probably some lesson. There was probably some benefit to it. Even if you couldn't see it when going through it, you can probably see it now with hindsight. And so that's why I got emotional because I understand now that if I do go through any other struggle, it's okay. It won't last forever. And I'm not alone in the struggle. The struggles, the inevitable, inevitable struggles that I will continue to go through in my life. Hmm. You know, one thing I was thinking about also while you were explaining your story, Amira, is um, how many men need to watch this? I know women, it will resonate automatically by default, but how many men force themselves onto their women? And I can even yeah. call that rape, even in marriage. It is, it's, uh, it's known as marital rape, which sounds like this oxymoron, like this, these two words that apparently shouldn't go together, that when you're married, you can't experience rape, but actually it, there's a term for it, it's known as marital rape and, and thank you for bringing bringing it up it's important to talk about hmm. so just to sh because you're more you're way more knowledgeable about this than me so marital rape is when a husband would force himself onto the wife as it's his right yeah okay yeah so i could imagine how many women on one end don't understand they, ha they have a certain condition whether it's this or any other condition and because of this not understanding on the male side, mm -hmm. he starts to say, no, this is my right, mm -hmm. as if it's an object that he owns. Yeah. And in your case, I guess you were fortunate 
that you had a patient man who didn't force himself on you yeah. for a year and didn't even divorce, yeah. which yeah. is a blessing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was I was blessed. I still am blessed to be married to him. So I don't want yeah. to stop you. I don't Sorry. mean he's blessed only you're blessed because you have him. He's also blessed to have you. <laughs> it goes I don't want it to sound on one side because it's, nobody's doing anybody a favor. He was patient with you and I'm sure you were patient yeah. with him and patient with yourself and you gave him two beautiful children. So like it, it's mutually <laughs> beneficial. I think he deserves maybe extra credits, uh, not more than me, but extra credit in terms of his situation. Like if you see it through his lens where he didn't know what vaginismus was, um, but he chose to be patient despite not understanding what I was going through. Um, but that's, I think, the message that if a man is listening to this, you've heard the term, you know that it's a real thing. And if you're struggling to have sex with your wife right now, and you now know that this is a condition that exists, hopefully it will enable you to be more patient and understanding. Um, but regardless, I really feel like even if someone doesn't know that this condition exists, I think it's so important to put yourself in the other person's shoes. Men need to stop for a moment and think, okay, my wife is struggling to have sex with me. She's finding it really difficult and painful. If I were the wife, if I were the woman, how would I want my husband to be with me in terms of patient and loving and understanding? That's what I think men need to be thinking instead of thinking that sex is something that they're meant to be given or sex is something they demand as their right. Um, I think it, that can apply to anything, any struggle that you go through in a marriage, whether it's the man going through it or the woman, we need to put ourselves in the other person's shoes. I think that's one of the essences of marriage is if you're gonna be in this relationship with someone long-term, hopefully forever, and even if not, fine, but if you're gonna be in this relationship with someone, there are gonna be struggles. You need to, as much as possible, stop always seeing things through your own eyes or seeing things through your own feelings and put yourself in the other person's shoes. I think that will go a long way. And, and actually, in the two minute video I sent you, I said, one of the reasons I wanna share this is, is, is for men to watch it and see and to understand it more, understand the condition, but also give them the opportunity to improve their way of being with their wife if they're not being patient. A lot of men are patient uh, and understanding. It is unfortunate that some men aren't. And so hopefully, if you're a man watching this and you fall in that latter category where you're kind of running out of patience with your wife, put yourself in her shoes. Imagine what it's like for her to go through it. And also ask yourself if you as the husband were going through a sexual issue yourself, like it's more commonly heard of, I, there are conditions that are more well-known like erectile dysfunction. If I say that, it's a bit more commonly heard of something like premature ejaculation. It's a bit more commonly heard of. And even if it wasn't commonly heard of, you can kind of understand what it is. If someone says premature ejaculation and you know what those two words mean, you can understand what that condition involves. If someone says erectile dysfunction, you could probably understand what it means. And so if you as a man or the husband are going through a sexual issue, how would you want your wife to be with you as you try to overcome your own issue? Would you want your wife to be impatient and rush you and stress you out and put this like time frame and saying like you're taking too long to overcome it? Or would you want your wife to force sex upon you? 
The answer is probably no. So I really feel like as much as I wanted to share this story for women to feel hope and to, to know that they're not alone, I equally wanted men to know that it's important to support your wife and work as a team. At the end of the day, sex is a two-way act. Sex is a team act between a man and a woman. And so don't just kind of leave her to her own devices and say, it's your issue, you overcome it on your own, and let me know when you're ready. It's no, actually, if we're gonna be having sex together, let me help you, let me support you in whatever way I can. Um, that's what the woman needs, especially if she already feels alone, especially if she can't talk to her family about it. What was your uh, hardest moment in all of this journey? Um, my hardest moment. I think believing in myself. It was hard to believe in myself. It, it, as I was taking steps <clears throat> to treat myself, I kept doubting myself. Um, I tried to, I tried to start believing myself, but there was always this voice in the back of my head, kind of saying, what if you don't overcome Amira? Um, so it was, a, it was a challenge, not just to overcome it physically, like the physical side of it, but a challenge to, to overcome my own mental thoughts and start believing in myself. It was the biggest challenge, but it was so useful to go through that challenge of, of, of starting to believe in myself because I feel like the knock-on effects now in my life at present are really beneficial because now when I go through a challenge, I can, I can shut down that uh, kind of voice that tells me you can't do this. I can shut it down. I can pay attention to that voice and just kind of ignore it. Mm. Yeah. So finally, because I'm trying, it's a very important topic. I want to keep it light. So people actually watch it and I think they will. Um, why did you come here? I came to share my story because my story is the same story that other women have been through or are currently going through or will go through. And I, I feel like I have a voice and I need to use the gift of my voice to share my story because that can hopefully bring us together and, and help to heal the world one woman at a time, one marriage at a time, one couple at a time. That's why I, want, that's why I wanted to, to be here and to share my story. Hmm. I'm glad you did. I think you're Thank very you. brave. Thank and you. I think, Amira, you could have just healed yourself and stopped and just lived your happy life, but mm -hmm. you weren't selfish. It wasn't only about Amira. And that's why I think one of the reasons why you're here today is because it was more than just Amira. It was, yes, I, I passed this, but now I have a responsibility to help. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong that you've turned it into a business. Why not? We pay a dentist to fix our teeth, but then we don't want to pay a therapist or a coach. Or, <laughs> if it's something that can elevate you or evolve you, pay for it 
respect somebody's time and if they can help you become a better person. So I'm, I'm glad what you, what you did, did with all of that experience. Thank you so much. So yeah, thank you for uh, sharing it. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Do you feel you covered everything? I think so. Yeah? Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's a shocking subject for, um, for all of us in the Arab world and in a good way. Mm. You know, the good kind of shock. Yeah. And I think it can be um, a chain effect. Mm. You know, people will, will go home uh, after this and talk. Oh, do you know yeah. somebody like this? Did you know? Oh, that's, now I know what yeah. happened to this person. And Hopefully, you know, this region is more ready. And not just this region, because I'm in the UK and I watch your show. My sister, when I told her that I was coming on the show, she's like, I watched that show. I can't believe you're going to be on it. I swear they only interview celebrities. And I was like, yeah, I'm not a celebrity. But uh, she was, just, yeah. So I feel like whether it's this region, the wider world, I feel like mm. hopefully they're ready and hopefully it will achieve the goal. I, I believe in timing. I'm a firm yeah. believer in that things happen, hopefully in the right time when they're supposed to align or click. Yeah. And uh, I hope people understand why me and you are having this conversation. It's because with understanding, you can give hope. With understanding, you can judge less. When, with understanding, you can be less harsh to, to each other. Because mm. when people don't understand, they attack. Yeah, it's true. And they're afraid. Yeah. So like your husband at some point was afraid. He said, mm. if this keeps going on, yeah. I don't, and I don't blame him because he's afraid. He doesn't understand. He's been patient. Yeah. So I think with conversations such as these, hopefully they can help marriages, they can make them healthier, they can educate kids, teenagers, women to be more vocal and communicate, and most importantly, to know that they're not alone. Yeah, exactly. All right. Okay. Here we are. So I'll, uh, I'll tell you what happened. You know, after uh, Mohammed, first of all, hi. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, marhaba. All of those, all of those necessities. <laughs> Um, honestly, uh, after my conversation with Amira, uh, I remember feeling, what about Muhammad? You know, like I became so curious to hear the other side of this because uh, Amira is so well-spoken and uh, she's very eloquent in expressing, as, like she's a storyteller. So she will really yeah. uh, take you through the journey as best as she could. Obviously, we don't feel the feelings she's felt, but you kind of, because she expresses them well through vocabulary and storytelling. But I remember thinking like, man, I wish Muhammad also came here because I would love to now know his perspective on all of this. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it, it made me just think, okay, the woman uh, really went through a lot, but also I would like to know his, his side of the story. So firstly, I want to know how was Muhammad's experience throughout this challenging time uh, maybe i don't want to fill in blanks without you filling them but generally i could just imagine um, that as men we don't know much about any of these things and to be to get married and to suddenly face this and you're like okay this is a surprise and you have to learn how to to deal with all of this so i would love to know your how did muhammad face all of this yeah of course um I think early on from our marriage, uh, well, we got married very young, uh, as Amira has mentioned. Uh, we got married at the age, age of 18. So now it's been 14 years, uh, or reaching 14 years. Um, 
I think at the beginning of our marriage, um, in terms of vaginismus as a, a concept or a, a diagnosis to the fear of having sexual relationship with your your husband, your wife, um, it was alien to us, first of all. However, and at the same time, there wasn't much help available on the internet or doctors. People think it's, it's a phase. Um, from my point of view, you know, months came by and you know, it became a problem, uh, you know, we can't have, you know, sexual intercourse um, within our marriage, um, you know, but there was, from my side, you know, from both sides, not just my side, let's be honest here, there was patience, um, but at the same time, there was question marks on why is it not happening? Is there something wrong with either of us? Or is it, what could it be, um, you know, you can probably imagine in an Islamic world, not just Arab world, it's a, it's a taboo topic. Not a lot of people, you can't go to a family, you can't go to a friend, you can't go to a family and say, what are they doing in this situation? And if you possibly can go and you have that level of relationship with family and friends, the first victim is always the female. To be like, oh, why shouldn't, you know, it's the problem is on her, it's not you. That's... The, you know that, that's the context we're talking with within, within within our society in general the blame is always on the females i think from my side um i don't want to seem to be um the victor here or the person who most patient um in terms of how we resolved it it's it's really down to how amira came down to self-diagnose herself um i think from the moment we got married till potential resolving her fear of sexual intercourse. I think it was a year, a year and a half in total. Um, I think obviously from my side as a man, you know, you're, you're frustrated on why is it happening to you? You question yourself. Um, but at the same time, you know, there needs to be a level of understanding and patience to, you know, it. both of you are, are in this relationship. And I saw myself in a mirror being in the same boat it's nothing within our hand to control uh, for her to have that sort of fear and the easiest way could have been let's just go for a divorce you go your way I go my way but one thing that really stuck by me from my early age my mother uh, she would always say we're Muslims but we have very Christian outlook to marriage she's she's Egyptian my mum and she grew up in a Christian neighborhood in a Coptic neighborhood and they don't believe in divorce or it's a very taboo subject they you know once you get married in a Christian Christian household in Egypt especially Shobra you have to go through ahead of it and that's it so that's that's really one one thing that stood by me personally is there's always an easy way out you know Allah has given us permission if relationships are not working divorce is a possible outcome and we have to agree with that but we have to exhaust every possible avenue before we come to that conclusion of divorce because divorce it's not a light it's not a light decision anyone should take sometimes out of anger someone can make a wrong decision and say you know what divorce is probably the best way um it really never came across on my mind in general but i think you know with perseverance and patience um and with amira's you know foreignness and stubbornness to see what is wrong with her as a you know or what's wrong why she can't have sexual intercourse has really helped this relationship 
and helps us both. Mm. And, um, you know, considering what you said, that um, in Arab families, we're not used to talking about these things, although there's major, major parts of our life and our physiology and, you know, emotions. It's just, it's a need, you know, the, the physical uh, is, a, is a need, the sexual is a need. Um, so considering you're a, an Arabic man that can't talk to your family easily, let's say, about something like this, does it make you, as a man start to feel insecure it's not like you were married before and you had uh, no challenges mm -hmm. and then suddenly you had uh, a second marriage and you had challenges it's your first marriage you're young you're developing as a man and it's not working out and no matter maybe what i say at that young age it's very difficult maybe to compartmentalize and say oh this is not about me it will most probably feel like an insecurity, like maybe you're not doing enough or you're not understanding enough, or I don't know. Can it build an insecurity in you as a man? Um, I think it potentially, can, potentially could to have that effect on an individual, depend how, how they are, um, how confident they are with, uh, with dealing with such situation. I think, Two, two different people, you know, people in general are different. They have different reactions. But for, for my context, um, I don't believe it, I think I need to use my words quite carefully. I don't think it really impacted me in that way. Um, obviously there was frustration of this is not going ahead, it's not going to plan, you know, months go by a year goes by and we're still in square one, uh, you, you start quite, you, obviously you start questioning yourself as, you know, as a man, as a husband, and you, you question, you know, why is it happening to you? Um, but I think with me personally, I'm able to differentiate between what's happening inside the household, between family and stuff, and other things that are outside uh, of the household, so work, friends, family, how, how to how to balance all of that. I think that probably kept me sane in terms of how to deal with um, the you know the condition that Amira had, and I think ultimately, rather than just sitting on it, sitting on a problem, we spoke about it you know occasionally to see you know what's the progress, what do you think it is, how can we you know overcome this as a couple. Hmm. Okay, you mentioned um, divorce. Was it something that you, uh, and you mentioned how you were brought up very much against it as a, it should be an extremely, extremely, extremely last resort. And maybe yeah. that was, you know, the, the push you needed. And maybe that is the partner that Amira needed, that kind of partner that wouldn't just jump to that uh, option. Uh, which is the, which was also an under i'm sure at some point she was like okay i would understand maybe you know um if if somebody wants to leave so i i do think you know uh, subhanallah you, you were you meant to be the partners that were supposed to be together it would be very difficult i would say for nine out of ten men to just persevere I, if it was three months or six months i would say you know people maybe are patient but uh, men are generally also very selfish and, uh, you know, uh, just to, to say I'll wait for a year or a year and a half, it's, I don't think it's easy at all. Uh, I would imagine it's, it to be difficult. Easy. 
yeah, a hundred percent. You know, it, it was not easy. I, you know, I'm not going to to sit here and kid you and say, oh, no, it was fine. It was only eighteen months at max. Um, but you know, on the flip side of the thing, you know, I did mention yes. You know, obviously divorce goes through your mind, but you know, a, t- a testament to Amira's character and how she is that really didn't come you know it never came across my mind personally interesting and did you like what made you stay patient other than the fact that okay divorce divorce is not running through your mind sure but still let's say you still want to get married but you still have to be patient if you want to stay married so how are you being patient in all of this um Personally speaking, I, you know, I've, I've always had, you know, I believed, you know, this is something we're going to overcome. It's not for life, you know. Both of us, you know, wanted to have have kids. Both of us wanted to have a long marriage. Um, you know, because you know, let's be real here. Marriage is not just fulfilling your sexual needs. And in the Arab world or anywhere, you know, you can confuse those two things. Marriage is a journey. It's not just a fulfillment of sexual pleasure and that's it, it's over. You know, there's more to it. There's, you know, emotional attachment. There's, you know, raising a family. You know, there's important role for the mother within um, within an Islamic family to raise the kids, uh, building, you know, having a village, you know, the prophet warned us, has told us, the importance of a mother is great, greater than a man. And to think of that and to see Amira's character as a person, you know, I knew she's the one I'd want to raise my kids with because she will instill those values. You know, Amira, mashallah, she comes from a good family. She's um, switched on. And one thing which can be good and bad at the same time, she's very stubborn. If she needs to find a solution to something, she'll find it. I genuinely believe her stubbornness made her come across what vaginismus is and how to resolve it. Um, so now I'm thinking it's one thing uh, to deal with this as a, a partnership and to overcome it, alhamdulillah. And uh, I'm just an outsider looking in. But I really hope you guys are happy and stable and fulfilled and you have a beautiful family. And I know you have children, which these are all blessings, you know. And, and so we can say from the outside, I can say it seems like a, a good progression to your journey. You and Amira, you've come through a lot and it's a happier outcome at the moment. Mm. Um, so that's one thing. However, how do you feel about Amira not stopping there where she says, okay, we both solved this and we have a happy family. No, I want to talk about this and I want to share it with yeah. the world and I want to discuss it with other, other women. How does that make you feel? Because whether you like it or not, you're involved like you're involved. <laughs> so how um, does that make you feel? Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if Amira did mention it with you, um, but you know, Amira was a science teacher and she was looking at ways of spending more time at home with the kids raising them rather than sending them to childminders or nannies after school. 
she wanted to perform off that. So she was looking at ways of, you know, having a side business of how she can generate money rather than just, you know, working as a teacher. One one of our two salaries would go to childminders, uh, after school classes. So one of the reasons Amira left her job is to have, you know, more time with the kids and also try and find something she can work towards. I think she came through across a few ideas that weren't successful. Um, but one day, you know, we, we were talking, she said she wanted to be a coach and, you know, she wanted to get your young girls, females, uh, any anyone from age, but focused on Mr. Woman to have more positive outlook on their bodies. I was like, okay, that's all good thinking and stuff, but I don't think it's your area of expertise. Uh, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but I think if you're going to go with a business idea, go with an idea where it's going to add value, it's going to have the impact for society, and also it can be a reward for yourself. But, you know, it's good to make the money if you have to, but the first three things that I've mentioned are more important than making money. You want to have people to have a better relationship, understand their anatomy, and have a better uh, connection with, with their spouse, with wh whatever they want to do. So I told her, why don't you, you know, you, you've experienced, you know, vaginismus. Why don't you speak about it? You know, you know, we don't talk about it enough in the mosques, unfortunately, uh, because every person who does a course online becomes an, you know, an online scholar. Um, and there's certain there's certain topics in in the Islamic world that are not spoken about. You know, why shouldn't why shouldn't you do that? Uh, it's something that will reduce the divorce rate within within our community. Forget about the world. Just look at the community. Majority of statistics is usually down to sexual needs are not being fulfilled, or a great fear of individuals. Um, fear in having sex on their wedding night, hence it always leads to a divorce. So, you know, I, I did put the idea for her to, to consider maybe to speak about it, to see how she can help individuals, you know, facing problems like that. I don't want to take Emir's credit, you know, she's the one who came up with the courses and everything. I just put the idea in her mind to say, you know, we should we should we shouldn't we shouldn't be shy away of talking about things that is considered taboo. It should, or because you're a hijabi, you're a Muslim, this is not your area of expertise. So you shouldn't really be speaking about those areas. You know, we need people like you who've experienced those issues, but take it in a positive light to help other people. In our communities, either being in the Arab world or in England or anywhere in the world, any problems you have with Islam, you go speak to a sheikh. And it's usually a male. There's nothing wrong with that, but when it comes to sexual needs or sexual health, why can't we have females talking about the importance of what is vaginismus, for example? Sexual pleasure, how do we, you know, how to address those? But within an Islamic point of view, not out of ignorance or, you know, this is how I've done it, this is how you're supposed to do it. Everyone has different needs. Mm. Yeah. Very, very interesting. And it's nice that you... You're kind of the instigator. She was looking for something outside the the formal job, and 
you just ping pong then you gave her an idea and she's she smashed it back and she got a nice business out of it. <laughs> and help and help oh, yeah, I... people it's like you said you you add value to human beings and and i like the fact that you said this is one way to reduce um, uh, divorce rates and make people actually happy some people are not divorcing but they're miserable also exactly exactly yeah. um, and you know from just speaking to amira um, she's had clients who've had kids but are still suffering from the condition so you know sexual relationships supposed to be pleasurable um that's not something that is talked about enough within our communities when we talk about sexual pleasure we always automatically think about the man we don't want the man to commit haram we don't want the man to commit adultery so let the woman suffer that's usually our understanding within within islam or within islamic communities but that's culture that is not islam yes and having amira taken that role within the community and most importantly to our kids to say you know what farah who's our daughter you're a female you're going to experience changes in your body or growing up how they'll deal with it or how you should deal with it armor similarly you know our youngest son you're a boy you know this is how you tr- you know if you come across a person who you you're interested in getting married to she might experience anxiety fear how do you address it as a man rather than just be forceful being forceful in your nature mm. so yeah that leads me to my my final point um and it is in in muhammad's experience now um how would you um i know that the word advise is a bit tricky and some people tell me who am i to advise so i usually um twist it as from your personal experience what has helped muhammad and what can maybe help other men or husbands to i don't know empathize or sympathize or understand if they're going through a challenging uh, let's say marriage where there is uh, sexual challenges or it can be from the man or from the woman what is from your personal experience something that worked and you say anas maybe i can share this with the people and it can help them um i think from my point of view i think the best thing if any man or woman come across this this issue or this condition the best thing you can do is probably not to be played the victim because it's a very vicious and negative cycle if you you know from a pan point of view you're going to play the victim you're going to go into possible depression because you know you start to question what's what's possibly wrong with me as a man am i you know am i not living up to my manlyhood for example and you know it can lead to you know depression it can lead to ultimately divorce and it can lead to you know a degree of confidence and similarly with with um women in general being playing the victim without looking for possible solution or action to take you've submitted to defeat or you, you've really defeated yourself as a man or woman regardless of who it is from from my experience you know look at the positives look where you want to be with your partner in a couple of years time where do you see your future lies um you know ultimately a lot doesn't put us in any conditions that we're unable to solve and that's one thing you know 
we need to be very happy about, you know, from a Muslim point of view, um, these are, are testing times. When we're in situations like that, it's, test, it's testing to us to see how we are how, as our characters, how we are with other people, and ultimately, you know, how our faith is tested in moments like these. Are you going to be a person who's going to be aggressive in nature and be defensive, or are you going to be a person who's understanding of how to see how you overcome an issue with your relationship lovely man you can either be the you can either be the aggressor or the compassionate hmm. <laughs> i think aggressor slightly it's quite a heavy word but you know that that's the balance that we have to live on um, yeah you know you have to potentially look at how you, you want to see yourself in a couple of years how you know your compassion you, you know your, your soft heart will will support you or you can take the easy route of you know abusing one another insulting one another which ultimately is not going to solve anything this is great man and i like how you i actually like the you simplified your experience to something very crucial and very adaptable to other people's lives just not playing the victim if i take that and copy paste it and apply it to different you know tough situations it's literally hmm. one of the ways or the main way to to find a solution or to have hope like you said i always said i always thought we will get over this so that hope is not being a victim yeah. because a victim will say ah oh, this will never work ah oh, we're 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 screwed it's done that's giving up like you said surrendering so and i really like it and uh, i appreciate your time uh, i know you're you're a busy, you're a busy person and you have another meeting so thank you for this and i think this will also help a lot uh, along with Amira's uh, story. Uh, brilliant. I'll, I'm glad I was of some help, finally. I'm sure a lot of them, <laughs> but we just took a glimpse of it. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Anas. Um, right, it's, it's a pleasure. And hopefully one day we'll get to see you in real life. Inshallah. Inshallah. Say hi to Amira and the kids. We'll do. Take All care. right, man. You take care. Bye. Sorry.